Well, so glad you've joined us today. Week six of this series, Gold from Golgotha. I want to take a moment and welcome all of our guys at the Dieball Correctional Center and our folks at Duncan. You guys are not a church project. You're part of our church family. So glad you guys have joined us today. It's so cool. I was getting to talk to somebody today about a story of a 75-year-old guy in one of the units uh, and said to us, said to one of our dream teamers on a Wednesday night, hey, for the first time, I understand what salvation really is. I, I grew up kind of in church and out of church, made some mistakes, but finally been in prison 30 plus years, but I finally understand what Jesus did for me. Thank you for all you're doing through Timber Creek. So man, get, let, let's just celebrate what God's doing through the different locations. So glad you guys are there. And man, Nacogdoches is right around the corner. God has really told us to kind of cast out nets and he'll fill the, fill the nets with the fish. So his job is stirring the water and getting the fish. Our job is just to launch out there and build some nets. And we are neck deep in our construction of 22,000 square feet right there in Nacogdoches. It is going to be a blast. That location will open the second Sunday of September, the Sunday after Labor Day. September 8th is when we open the Nacogdoches location. Location. So uh, keep your eyes peeled uh, for that. Let's jump right in today. So have you ever heard the statement, uh, uh, the deck was stacked, or the game was rigged, or it was, it was all set up from the beginning? Anybody ever heard those, those, that terminology? Uh, meaning that something, somebody had to hand in something to kind of lean the game their way. It was, it was rigged from the beginning. Well, we see that uh, this was not an accident that Jesus goes to the cross, suffers the way he suffers, goes through life the way he goes through life. He is fulfilling hundreds of scriptures that, that must be fulfilled for him to truly be who he says he is. See, he's either, he was either a liar and he said he was the son of God and he wasn't, or a lunatic, he just kind of crazy like he was, he was the son of God one day, a pineapple the next. You, you, you've known a lunatic, you have an uncle or a hand like that. <laughs> Or not, maybe just me, just me, okay. Uh, some of you have lunatics in your family. Um, or either liar, lunatic, or he's actually Lord. He actually is who he says he is. And the only way that he truly is who he says he is, is he has to fulfill all these different things that Scripture said the Messiah would be. Where the Messiah would come from, where he would be born, the life he would live, the death he would die, even leading up to how he would be arrested, how he would be betrayed. Hundreds of years before Jesus is kissed on the cheek by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the book of Psalms, we see a messianic scripture, a messianic prophecy, Messiah prophecy. In Psalm 41, 9 even my close friend, David writes this, but David is writing it, but the Spirit of God is saying, this is not only happening to David, but this is a shadow of something else that's going to happen in the future. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. And in the final supper with his disciples, we see that unroll in real time where Judas dips his bread in the same, in the same salsa as, as Jesus does. I don't know what caused Judas to turn. Maybe he was, wanted to be part of the, the inner circle and wasn't invited. Why didn't I get to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration? Why wasn't I part of the, the, the top three people? Why, I think I, I would like to write a book about Jesus too. Why am, I, why am I not getting selected? Why is he not spending so much time? And he had a critical spirit too. <clears throat> There's a time where a woman 
busts open some perfume, a year's worth of wages, pours it on his feet. It's an extravagant, generous gift. And Judas says, you know how many people we could have fed, how many poor people we could have taken care of because of that? And he missed the understanding of extravagance. He, he missed the understanding of generosity. And, and I don't know if he just felt like he didn't, he deserved to be more than what he was. Man, I run the finances around here. He was the collector. He was the treasurer of the finances. He took care of a lot of things, but something happened. Something clicked in Judas and he was the one who sold Jesus out. He betrayed Jesus. Matthew 27, we read about it. When Judas who betrayed him saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. 30 pieces of silver was the price. It was the blood money. It was the, 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 the money attained for someone else's life in exchange for giving them up. And that's what Judas had done. So he goes back to the uh, chief priests and the elders and he says, I've sinned for I've betrayed innocent blood. And you would think that maybe the chief priest would say, hey, okay, thanks for coming and sharing that. Here, here's, how they, here's how they respond to Judas' sin. Okay, here's how, the, here's, here's how they respond. What is that to us? So? What? Who cares? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and he left. Sad words in scripture. He went away and he hanged himself. I want to say to you that when, when we try and take care of our sin in a, in a way that we're trying to deal with it, you can't ever wash your sin away. You can't ever get like free from your own sin outside of Jesus. Judas was trying to figure out how to make himself feel better. The only way we truly are cleansed from it and truly have a path to freedom after it is to go to Jesus. It's to go straight, straight to him. He, hung, he hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and they said, well, you know, guys, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. Now, think about this. The chief priests were against the law having all of these trials for Jesus. Uh, they were against the law pinning Jesus uh, that had, he had done something that really he had not done. That they were accusing him of things that were not true. And, and so it's amazing how people can pick and choose whether they want to follow the, the law or not. You know, So if it works for them, they'll follow the law. But if it doesn't work for them, well, that's kind of antiquated. That doesn't make sense. So they break the law to get what they want and they follow the law because that's just how people are. We pick and choose when it comes to scripture. So here's what they do. They decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. They used that 30 pieces of silver, and that is why it's been called the field of blood to this day. Now, did I tell you the deck was stacked? Did I tell you the game was rigged? Did I tell you it was a setup from the beginning? When you look at this next scripture, then what was spoken to Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. 650 years earlier, God had spoken through his spirit to the prophet Jeremiah. And in that book, Jeremiah writes these words. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. 
It was a setup from the beginning before even time as we know it existed. The Lamb of God would be slain. God had orchestrated every single thing. Even the chief priests thinking that they had done a, a good thing by hiring Judas and finding Jesus in the garden. This was not surprise. This was, this was not anything new. Jesus knew it was coming. Why? Because, you know, he's like the Son of God. But also everything was orchestrated like a major symphony for your salvation. Every single note, there was intentionality behind what Jesus had done. Even these statements on the cross, deep intentionality behind every syllable. And we've come now to the sixth statement, evidence of another payment that was made. It wasn't money, blood money given in the exchange of, of blood, but blood given in exchange for, a, for a, a price that you couldn't pay, the price that only Jesus could pay, our salvation. And we come to the sixth statement. In the, the fifth, sixth, and seventh statement, the fifth, sixth, and seventh statement happened just almost in tandem to each other. They happened within just a matter of moments. He's been on the cross for, for hours, but it's these final statements that happen like that. Last week, it was, it was the statement, I thirst. And now we get to the sixth statement, John 19. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Let's pray. Master, the next few moments we have, Would you speak to us? May we find the gold in these words because they are precious. As your book, Proverbs, says, the right words at the right time are like golden apples set in silver jewelry. May these be golden words to us that will change us. May we leave a little different than when we came in because of your word spoken and applied. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are popular battle cries all throughout history. Battle cries that were given during the Texas Revolution. One important battle cry was, remember the Alamo. Knowing that during the revolution they went back to what had happened at the Alamo. And they went back to the resolve that small handful of people had against the mighty forces of Santa Ana. And how they, they tried and they worked and they worked and they, and they remembered what happened there. And it, it thrust uh, Texas forward in the Texas revolution. At the battle of Bunker Hill... Uh, the captain is, is given this popular battle cry, given a uh, uh, copyright of this, if you will. He says, men, don't shoot until you see the white of their eyes. Yeah. In 1939, there was a poster published uh, by the uh, government of Britain, by, the, by one of the uh, uh, offices, offices of ministry there. And in the office, they produced this poster and pamphlet, two and a half million of them, and they spread them all across Britain. They were put on uh, telephone poles and storefronts and placed uh, at people's doors. And, and the reason they put this battle cry, this rally cry on everywhere is because there were rumors 
that they were about to begin to be attacked. Airstrikes were coming and they had already heard it was happening in other areas and those airstrikes were going to begin to take place. And so the government put together this slogan uh, along with two others, but this one's the popular one that we even see today and it is keep calm and carry on. You thought it was just like keep calm and eat nachos, but, but like, because it's been like 10 million memes now, but it had a battle cry birth, a lot of meaning behind hearing the sirens and remembering keep calm and carry on. We're not going to let these airstrikes get the best of us. We're not going to be so easily defeated. We're going to keep calm and we're going to carry on. Martin Luther King Jr. had a battle cry. We say today, do you remember it? I have a dream. We get into some more popular pop culture back in the day, uh, still in the, the, the late 50s and 60s. And a guy by the name of the Lone Ranger had a little battle cry. Anybody know the battle cry? Hi-ho. Away. Yeah, that was pathetic. That was, that was pathetic. Of course, when I, was gro- when I was growing up, it wasn't Lone Ranger. You know what it was? It was He-Man Masters of the Universe. And I, uh, it, there, was, there was this awesome story. Now, now, here's the deal. I was not allowed to watch He-Man, Masters of the Universe in my home because my daddy was a pastor. And they said, that is the gateway drug to the Smurfs. You start watching He-Man, all of a sudden you start watching Smurfs. You start watching Smurfs, you're going to be stealing cars and doing heroin. Like, that's just, that's the way it was back in the, back in the day. So I'd have to go to sleepovers at my friend's house and say, you got any videos of He-Man? You know, that's how rebellious I was. <laughs> And He-Man had a special statement. He would throw that sword in the air by the power of Grayskull. I have the power. And his clothes would rip off and he would be left in his suit. I don't know. That's weird, but is what it is. Battle cry. We weren't allowed to watch that, but we were allowed to watch every single moment of every single Rocky ever made. Rocky. Adrian. Like, get him, Rock. You know, I have all kinds of great things that Mickey would say that I'm not going to say right here, but he did just, just Rocky, there's Rocky four was, was hot when I was a kid and it's where Rocky takes on, you know, the world. He takes on the Soviet Union and it's a heated, very relevant time back then in the eighties. And, and there's this montage of Ivan Drago, the superhuman Soviet boxer who's got all the technology and all of the computer and he's strapped into a treadmill. And Rocky's just like in the snow carrying a log. He's like, yeah, America. Like it's just a beautiful, we don't need of that fandangled Soviet technology. Like, it's just awesome. There's this moment where Ivan Drago surges forward in the middle of a round, and his coach slams his hand on the side of the boxing ring, and he just yells his last name. He just yells, Drago, and spit comes flying. I'm telling you, for the next year, my 10-year-old brother, every time he'd get upset, Every time you'd tick him off, every time something would happen and, the, and he didn't like what was going on, and we were in a little brother, you know, sibling rivalry, something would snap in my brother. And he would just, he would literally just yell, Drago! And he would just like run after me like he was a madman. That was his battle cry at 10. Crazy battle cry. Battle cries do this, they rally everyone together, they strengthen resolve, they build camaraderie, they 
we gain power through unity because we're surrounded around a, a battle cry. The battle cry we have here is your God-given potential is our mission. Every person is designed to be taking next steps with Jesus until the day you enter heaven. Some of you, your next step is to step back and evaluate life from here to Dieball to Duncan. And maybe today is the day you take a next step and simply saying, Jesus, be the center of my life. Others of you, it's time to take a next step towards restoration, towards freedom, towards doing something with the gifts God's given you. Your God-given potential is our mission, and it's a rally cry. We're doing the Nacogdoches and Duncan and Dieball locations and other locations coming until we turn 100 years old and beyond. Why? Because there's a rally cry. We, we feel called by God to create community destinations where anyone, anyone can find and follow Jesus. But the greatest battle cry that humanity has ever experienced is this moment after having had the sour wine, Jesus cries out, it's finished. It's finished. Notice the exclamation point at the end. Notice that, that this was not a whimper of someone dying. This was a triumphant shout battle cry of a victor. And it would not have been three words for Jesus. He would not have been speaking the English language. It would have been one word. It would have been this word in Hebrew and in Greek. The word is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Why don't you say that with me? All locations. Tetelestai. Say it again. Tetelestai. Say it strong. Tetelestai. This word, tetelestai, Jesus takes a drink, gives us two final, final statements, and he cries out the Bible. He takes, he takes those wet vocal cords and, and wet mouth, and he, and he cries out with the last strength that his humanity has to tell us die. And there is power in this phrase, power in this word, so much saving power that it's in this moment that the centurion, who was part of crucifying Jesus, his, his, his military men, and he, he was in charge of the group that crucified him. Here's what the Bible says in Mark 15. When the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this, and he breathed his last, he said, truly, truly this man was the son of God. There was something about this moment, this battle cry. Scholar, professor James Stalker says it like this. The salvation of the world is contained in this word. Human souls can lay hold of it as the drowning sailor grasps a life preserver. There's power in this moment. There's this aha, whoa, heavy. We ought to take a little time and just reflect on this word to tell us die. It is finished. But the question that we pose when we say that statement, it is finished, the question is, what's finished? What is finished? The six hours on the cross? Is it the crucifixion that's finished? Is it his suffering that's finished? Is it his 33 and some odd months life in the human flesh that is finished? What really is going on? What really is Jesus finishing in this moment? 
In order to understand Tetelestai, we have to understand the, 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 the width and the depth of this word. You know, we don't have too many words like this in the English language, but we do have some that have multiple meanings, the same word having multiple meanings. I'll give you one example, the, the word run, run, like uh, he's been running a fever. Um, I, I, I'm going to run a marathon, um, a, a do run, 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 <laughs> a do run, run. My dog got into some chocolate and has a bad case of the <laughs> runs. Um, I want to run something by you. Run this wire through that line. So there's multiple meanings to the word run. There's multiple understandings of the word to telestai. And I want you to get this today. I want to tell you something, everybody. Jesus wants to speak to you today. Jesus wants to say something to you today. As simple as this one word. He wants to say something to you. Tetelestai is used in different ways. In that culture, it was used. I'm going to give you five ways. The first way was this, if you're taking notes. That word would have been the word of a servant and a master. Where the master would call the servant forward and say, I need you to finish this project. And the servant would leave with specific instructions on how to finish the project. Like, you know, mom or dad, you say, hey, I want you to go clean your room before you play Fortnite. And when they go clean the room, they may not clean it the way that you, as the parent, suggest. Like when you say your room is clean, it's different than when my 10-year-old son says the room is clean. And, and you know, the cover of his bed is like, there looks like there's four dead bodies under it because he just stuffed everything under the covers. It's not, it's not, it's not done like I want it to be done. But when the servant would leave and go accomplish something, would come back to the master, the master would observe the work. And if the, if the master approved of the work of the servant, that master gave one word to that servant. To tell us die. It's good. It's finished. It's the way I wanted it. And that's what Jesus does on the cross. Here's another way the word was used. The word was used... With an artist that would take the blank canvas or take the wet clay on the wheel or take the solid piece of granite and the hammer and the chisel and one stroke of, of, of paint or one chip away at the granite and one turn of the wheel would begin to place their hands in the clay and place their hands on the chisel and place their their, 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 their brush on the canvas and they would step back and they would look it's missing something they would continue they would continue to chip away until finally after days months years when there was nothing more to be done the artist would step back to tell us die to tell us die and the great master of the universe, the great creator on a cross says, we say, voila, ta-da, Jesus says, to tell us die. 
This word is the word of a banker. In fact, there are uh, papyrus papers found through excavation where someone, a family, would borrow money and they would write it out on papyrus paper and they would hold on to that paper. When that family had paid back the note they had borrowed, the money they had borrowed from the lender, that lender or that bank would, would, would write something across that note. Can you just, can you guess what the word would be? To Telestai, your debt has been paid in full to Telestai. It's the word of an artist, the word of a master, the word of a banker, the word of the court. When someone was charged with crimes, those crimes would be listed and that person would be put into jail the same way that Jesus had his crime listed above him on the, on the cross, he, this is the king of the Jews. That was basically his crime that he said he was the king of the Jews. He was. Um, they would have that same kind of description placed wherever they had to spend time incarcerated. It was their rap sheet. But when it came time... For them to have finished their sentence, this isn't a, this isn't a death sentence, this is a just time spent. When their time was spent, there was no record, there was no system, there's no, you know, digital file. They would take that same record of all their wrongs. There's no copier systems, okay? It's not a, you know, your lawyer doesn't have one, you got one. Like, you got to hang on to that paper because your life depends on it. They would take it back to the same judge or court that had ordered their time. And that judge or that court would place a signet ring mark on it, and they would write out over that sentence to Telestai. The Almighty Judge that wipes our sin. Book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul says it like this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What does it is finished mean? He's a master, he's an artist, he's a banker, he's the almighty judge. Finally, Telestai was the word of a priest during Passover. For six hours, Jesus hung on the cross. And he would have started at nine in the morning till about 3 p.m. is when he gave up the ghost, when he died. There was this festival going on all week, known as the Passover. Different uh, traditions that were followed. One tradition was that all families that were in Jewish culture were required to bring a lamb for inspection to the temple. According to Josephus, uh, the great historian who wrote uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of history during that time, uh, Josephus writes himself that the time for those lambs to be taken to Passover to the priests at the temple was on a specific day at a specific time. And it just so happens that it was the day Jesus was hung on the cross and the, day, the time the temple courts would open and the process for Passover lamb inspection was 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. So... I want you to understand 
hundreds of families, if not thousands of families, like, 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 it's, good, like it's Black Friday. It's Good Friday, but it's Black Friday. They're waiting for the doors to open up, and they come into the temple, and there are priests responsible to inspect the lambs because the lambs they brought for Passover had to be unblemished, had to be spotless. They are celebrating the moment that way back in Egypt when the Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh and the only way, the final plague was that the, the, the darkness was going to cover, the Lord was going to send darkness and every firstborn child in a home that did not have blood on the doorpost, those firstborn children were going to die. But those families that covered their doorpost with the blood of an unblemished, spotless lamb sacrificed to cover that moment, those families would be spared and the angel of death would pass over them. And so now during Passover, they celebrate that moment and they bring those lambs for inspection and the priest would take the lamb and they would lift it and they would look and they would open its mouth and they would look at the ears and they would hold it. And if those lambs were truly unblemished, if those lambs were truly worthy, friends, are you getting this this morning? That priest would say to tell us die, it's good. This is, this is, pain. This is, this is a, a, a quality product. So the same day, the same time that the priests were reviewing and investigating the lambs to be slain, the lamb who was slain for all lifts himself and cries out in a loud voice outside. It's the hustle and the bustle of everyday life. They probably didn't hear him physically. But those words sent a shockwave across the world to tell us that I'm the lamb that is unblemished. I'm the lamb that takes away. That lamb is meant to cover your sins until next time. I'm the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Can you see Jesus as your master? Can you see him as the almighty artist? Can you see him as the high priest? Can you see him as the Passover lamb to tell us die? He finished it all. So what is finished? We have a little bit better understanding of what truly is finished beyond his suffering, beyond the crucifixion. Here's what's finished that day at the skull, at Cranion, at Calvary, at Golgotha. Here's what's finished. Number one, salvation is no longer a system to follow, but a savior to accept. They had to go through a system of do's and don'ts and regulations and rules and there were certain things they had to do and had not to do and things to say and not to say and things to wear at certain times and, and there was just this big system that you just could never get right and, and as much as you tried, you, always were, you were always going to fall short because we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. So Jesus comes in and he doesn't add to the system, he completes it. He completes, he, he, it's no longer what you do. It's about who did it all. It is finished. Look what the scripture says in the book of Hebrews. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place. Once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He paid for all those things. And now it's just accepting the Savior. Versus trying to earn, 
earn it. You can't. What else is finished? What does he mean? Well, in this moment, salvation is not added to or subtracted from. Like an artist who, as I mentioned earlier, steps away and then, and then just, you know, get, gets a little bit more granite carved away and finally he, he steps away. Or, or the artist who, who paints the Monet and places it there in the museum and then when a kid walks in and looks at it, he's like, oh, she's not smiling very much. So, so, so they take a Crayola and they, they try and put a smile on the face of Monet. What in the world would, would happen to that kid? Like you don't add to a Rembrandt. You don't add to the Monet. You don't add, you don't add to a piece of priceless work of art. Yet we try so hard to add to it is finished. You and I try so hard to add to salvation. I was just on Facebook the other day because I like to creep every once in a while. I creep 99, I post 1%. And I'm on a post with other pastors. I'm on this group with other pastors. And one of the guys just says, and it's, it's multi-denominational, it's a lot of different things, but there's just some good di- discourse and dialogue and some stupid stuff too. And, and uh, uh, they're saying, you know, I don't like the way churches, uh, you know, they say, if you want to accept Christ, just raise your hand. And then they count those people as saved. Like, it needs to be something more than that. Surely it needs to be more than that. Like, they don't just say, yes, I want to be saved. Like, like you think of the 3,000 people, this is in the post, were added on the day of Pentecost. Like they were suffering though. They had to be, you know, baptized and they had to go through a lot and they were possibly persecuted. And uh, so uh, I just had to add my two cents and, and, and it was just simply this. It, it was just simply um, Jesus plus anything makes it a works deal. Like this was the whole thing of Acts. The church wanted to add Jesus plus circumcision. Like you had to be, accept Christ and be circumcised if you wanted to be a, a male Christian. And so the book of Acts says, no, you don't do that. It's just Jesus. And so that's why we took circumcision out of the whole starting point process. We just, four weeks, it used to be, used to be, used to be week four. Hey, thanks for signing up for a dream team. And all you guys, there's a, there's a, there's a table out here in the back acres. We, we need to talk to you for a minute. You know, we did not have a high retention rate of men uh, during that time. They said, you know what, I'm going I'm I'm to go, go back to the Catholic Church. Um, it's not Jesus plus anything. You can't, it can't be added to or subtracted. So, but, but, you know, it, that sounds like duh. But then you have a bad day. You think God's mad at you. You have a good day. You think God is good to you. All of a sudden, your identity is based on your activity. And what you did all of a sudden makes you not a son or a daughter of God. Uh, there, there are consequences to sin. But you are who he says you are. And when you receive Christ, it's finished. And what he wants to do is finish. He, he wants to work you into new steps, different steps. But they're not salvation steps. Becoming a Christian is different than growing as a Christian. And becoming a Christian, it's never about what you could ever do. Because that takes away from the tetelestai of Jesus. It can't be added to or subtracted from. You cannot be loved anymore by Jesus than and how he loves you right now. You cannot be not loved, not be loved anymore, any less. He loves you. Now, if you want to live on this side of eternity, separated from him, he'll let you live like that even in eternity. 
but he'll never stop loving you. He'll never love you less. He'll never love you more. And you know what? God takes no joy in you wearing shame that Jesus already wore. He already put all the shame on Jesus. If he forgave you of your sins, stop living like you're unforgiven. Stop living in that guilt and condemnation and, and shame. It's like putting on, it's putting on shame that he already paid for. Like, why, why are you doing that? I already paid for that. It's like the prodigal son who says to his dad, he's not a prodigal at the time, he's just a, a brat son. And, and, and the brat son says to his dad, I want my money, I want it now, I want my inheritance. You don't even know, I want to live my life. Let me live my life. You don't even know. My parents don't even know. Let me live my life. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and, uh, and so the dad gives him his inheritance and lets him go off and do his deal. Big time living. And after all the drugs and after all the women and after all the gambling, and he loses it all. He finds himself at the lowest of the low. He's in a pig pen, the Bible says. And to understand, this is Jewish culture and, and pigs, there is, you would not... You would not associate, you wouldn't eat pigs, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't come near. It was an incredibly filthy situation. So you see the depth of his filth. As a matter of fact, one scholar I read recently, as that prodigal son comes to his senses and says, maybe, the, maybe my dad will at least let me live in the servants' quarters. And he starts walking down the road. We see the, the father bust through the door off of the porch and meet the son. It's because Jesus chases after you. Our Heavenly Father chases after you. But there's another thing. In Jewish culture, if a son had done this, they would have been wiped from the will. They would have been disowned. They would have brought shame to the family. And there was basically, they were a trespasser. If they showed up again, everybody had any right to disown them, to ridicule them. Uh, to, even, to even bring them to death the way they treated their father. So it could be that he wasn't just greeting him in excitement. It could be that he was running to rescue him so that nobody else could get a, a, an open shot, an easy, an easy shot on the son that had ran away. What's the first thing he does? He welcomes him with open arms. He takes a robe and he puts it on his back. He gives him a ring for his finger. I said it one time a few years ago, he gave him a robe and gave him a finger. <laughs> that wasn't the right way to say that. Put a, put a ring on his finger. What would it have been like had the father walked back into the house, the son following, but he looks in the mirror of the bathroom and says, oh, I don't deserve this robe. I don't deserve this ring. And as they start the party in the other room, the prodigal takes the clothes off the robe and the ring, and he just, he wears his old filthy pig clothes. That's what you do when you walk in shame. It's forgiven. Take off those old cloths. Jesus clothes you in his grace. Are there consequences? Yeah. Are there things that happen because we sin? Yeah. Is there some after effect? Yeah. Is there some collateral damage? Sure. But one thing you can do is you can give it to the master, and it's to tell us die. New clothes. Fresh start. Stop wearing that shame that he already put on himself. What is finished? 
here's something that's finished. Um, through that whole system of salvation, you guys still with me? Through that system of salvation, uh, those priests were busy day in, day out, day in, day out, paying for sins by the sacrifices, paying for sins by the certain prayers, paying for sins by the, the, the certain part of ritual in the temple. And, and we see it in Hebrews 10. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They cover sin, but Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. They stand there. It's a tiring job trying to figure out all of the sins of everybody. It's a tiring job having to cover everybody's sin for a while. It's a tiring job. There's no chairs in the Holy of Holies. There's only one seat in the Holy of Holies. There's not a seat where the priest can relax. They have to stand the whole time. But scripture goes on to say, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice, he did not have to work for it and run and get your stuff and get my just one sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus isn't having to run around trying to figure things out. He sat down to tell us It's finished. Now, here's what is beautiful about this. On the most important day of the Jewish calendar a few weeks ago, I, I, I laid that out in nth degree. You can listen to it on the podcast. But on that day, the, the high priest would go behind the veil that, that separated the regular worship area from the Holy of Holies and would go once a, a year with a goat, would sacrifice the goat. The lambs, that goat's blood would be placed in a, in a, in a bowl and it would be splattered on what is called the mercy seat. There's one seat, it's on top of the, the ark there, the God box. It would splatter blood and lay place the bowl representing that this, this sacrifice had been done at, on, the, on the mercy seat. We're given mercy. In that God box, in that covenant, the ark there, there were a few different items. Three of them were a, a, a portion of Ten Commandments, a pot of manna bread, manna simply means what is it it showed up in the wilderness and the jews kind of came out of their tents like oh manna like what is it <laughs> that's that's just what it means but it was bread that sustained them in the middle of the wilderness there was also a a, a rod aaron's rod that budded like a, a stick separated but that later budded those were not miracles of god those were moments that recognized the failures of the israelites now listen to me and lean in on this Inside that box where the mercy seat is on top, the Ten Commandments, the Israelites failed at following them. They were failures at it. The pot of manna did not just represent God's provision. It represented the lack of trust that the Israelites had that God would truly provide. They said things like, we should just go back to Egypt. So the manna shows up and the pot of manna is there because they failed to trust in God when they needed him. And Aaron's rod that budded. There was this moment in their culture where uh, all the 12 tribes began to go against the leader, Moses and Aaron. There was this faction building up. There was this war within themselves. And, and to figure out who is really going to be in charge... God spoke to Moses and he gave them this process. He said, okay, every leader of every tribe, the 12 tribes, you bring a rod. And we're going to stick it in the ground, put your name on it right here. So there were, there were 12 rods. Whichever rod that has a name, whichever rod buds in the next few days. If a rod buds new life, new flowers. Whoever's name on, is on that rod, 
we'll follow them. And they all agreed. They stepped back. They prayed, oh, God, let my rod bud. But it was, it, the deck was stacked against them. It was rigged from the beginning. And Aaron's rod, before you know it, blooming a stick that should never have life. But it doesn't just represent that God gives life to something dead. It represents that they did not trust in the authority of God. But here comes Jesus. And the priest has to work to cover these things, has to work to cover their failures, has to work to cover their failures. Jesus completes the work and he sits on top of your failures. He sits on top of the struggle. He sits on top of the past. He sits on top of, he says, it's done. It's finished. It's in the past. That's how Jesus operates. All of the things that represented their failures, Jesus says, I'm going to sit on it now. We're done. No more. It's like me when I finish wrestling with my kids. I just sit on them. It's done. Daddy's going to have a heart attack. <laughs> what is finished? It's finished. To tell us that. And he finished well so we can too. It's one thing to start a race well. It's another thing to finish it well. And Jesus, on the day of the final supper, hours before he's betrayed, uh, he prays this prayer to God around his disciples, and, and it's recorded. John records it down, and, and Jesus says these words. He says, Father, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. He finished well. You can too. I want, I want to stay married to the same woman for my entire life, and I want to see the kids go and grow up and have grandkids and I want to love my wife and I want my, my wife to love me and I, I want us to, to just to, 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 to finish well. I want my kids, I want my kids to want to be like me, not, not to be in the ministry. This is not a family business, but I want them to be like me. But that means that if I want them to be like me, it means that I want to be the kind of man that my son can see that, that can be strong but also can be loving. That can be strong but can also be kind. That can be, that can be sure but be humble. I want my daughter to see that, that I, I want to be the kind of man that my daughter would want to marry some guy like that someday because of the example that I've done. I want this church to be proud of their pastor. I, I, I don't want to be the pastor that, that, that drowns in shallow water. I want to launch out into the deep and fulfill what God's called me to do. I want to go to heaven someday, and I, want to, I don't want to go alone. I want to bring as many people with me as possible. I want to tell people about the truth and the goodness of God. I, I want to finish well. But that means that every day you got to run the race. You got to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the what? And the what? He's the finisher of our faith. He's got it. He's got it. So what is finished? What is finished for you and what's finished for me is every dark day because he's the light of the world. And you never have to walk in darkness. Every tough day, he says, cast your cares on me. Because I care for you. My strength is perfect when your strength is weak. Every hurt, I'll never leave you or forsake you. My faith and my mercy is new every morning. Every doubt, you can trust in me. Lean not on your own understanding. Every worry, 
Don't worry about it. Pray about it because there is no other voice. There is no other name. There is no other Savior. Why? Because it's to tell us It's finished. So what do you need Jesus to finish today in your life? Is there that sin that keeps creeping up? Is there that struggle? Is there that attitude? Is there that need that only Jesus can reach? Come on, let's thank him for being who he says he is. Would you stand to your feet right now? And let's change this moment from a sermon to a praise moment. Let's change this into a prayer meeting right now. Can you stand to your feet and let's just say thank you. Can you say thank you to Jesus for being the ultimate sacrifice, for being the almighty master? Come on, use your voices, use your words. Words just don't do it justice. But can you tell him thank you, Lord, for what you've done, how how you've moved in my life, what you've freed me from. God, even today I give my life to you because you're enough and I'm going to stop living in shame and I'm going to surrender to you in Jesus mighty name so God it's finished today I'm leaving it at the altar today I'm leaving it right here and I'm going to walk free today I'm going to step away and I'm going to get the help I need I'm going to get the accountability that I crave I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with those I need to be honest with I'm going to trust when it's easier to play it safe and hedge my bets. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you because the deck is stacked. And you've got it all along. Thank you, Jesus.